What is happening, savages? Greg Medford, live this happy Tuesday. We've got uh, Darren Mitchell in as a Republican today. Uh, he's served in the Arizona House, and he's running again. Uh, we thought we'd sit down and talk a little politics with him. We're going to talk some COVID. We're going to talk some America. We're going to talk some Trump. We'll uh, talk a little bit of state politics, but not too much, and uh, see if we can get his take on the lay of the land. A lot going on. You know, I was just, my, you know, I walk in the office every day, and uh, everyone's got their stuff they need from me. And as I come in today, my mom comes around the corner, and she stuffs paperwork in my hand. And it's not, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not completely abnormal for this to happen. So she hands me this chart on death rates and the cruel of human death rate in North America. Pretty fascinating. <clears throat> anyway, uh, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. But I was just talking to my uh, cousin in Massachusetts on the way in. And he was talking about how they're almost completely on lockdown in Massachusetts. Still up in New England. Everywhere he's having to deal with a nightmare. He's in the trucking business. And he can't get parts for his trucks. And he can't get workers to come in and he can't get places to open up and accept their merchant their their merchandise and their produce and their perishables and he can't can't get anyone to do anything on time and everyone's using it as an excuse to drag their feet and uh, we can't get shipping containers and we can't get trains to move and we can't get planes to move and we can't get this and we can't get that and we can't get one thing or the other and as it turns out 2013, we had an 8.2% mortality rate in the United States. 2014, we had an 8.3% mortality rate in the United States. 2015, 8.4. 2016, 8.5. 2017, 8.6. 2018, 8.7. 2019, 8.8. 2020, 8.9. We've had a mortality rate that has been on track in a linear not changing, going up one-tenth of 1% for years. In a predictable fashion, in 2014, 15, 16, and 17, they predicted in 2020 the mortality rate in the United States would be 8.9. It is 8.9 per thousand. Exactly on track in the middle of this grand catastrophe that's shutting the world down. The biggest catastrophe is the calamity of us letting scaredy cats run the show and collectively putting our heads up our own asses. So we started this show. I started this show and the people around me supporting me do it. So started this show to talk about the obvious, to talk about the absurd, to talk about the sane and the insane and uh, cast a light on it because the best thing for insanity and for sanity and for goodness and for evil, is to cast a light on it and let everybody see and judge. So, hey, guys, let's bring in uh, let's bring in Darren now and let's get to it. Hey, man, come on in. How you doing? Good. Good. I want to do my. Doing good. How are you doing? <laughs> good. It's our first time meeting. It is. I've actually seen you a couple times. Um, at some of the events, uh, some political gatherings, I just don't go up and glad hand everybody. But oh, I, I've seen you around a couple times. I thought it might have been when I was playing basketball. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I see hair that like that, I'm like, wait a minute, that guy's got nice hair. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, uh, you know, I the the show 
is really always been about as we've been getting this going. I've been doing this for years and we finally turned it into a podcast. I started doing this 10 years ago. Yeah. And we get about 3 million people a month step in and kind of look at what we're doing, um, according to what Google Analytics tells us. And uh, what's been interesting about it is I hang it out there really hard for an active business owner. And so many people that are in business, they kind of hold it in because they don't want to lose any customers. Right. And I've told everybody for years, I'm like, I'm not a whore. I don't need every penny. I don't give a shit. I just want to rip it, be myself. And I probably gain as many or more people who like the authenticity uh, as I lose for people who don't like the opinion. Right. So I just kind of rip it and let it hang out. And uh, we try to, I try to uh, cast the light on everything. I, I, I like, I like the light on everything if it's good if it's bad if it's ugly if it's pretty let's put the light on it sir so uh i was just talking about the mortality rate in the united states how it's been on track and hasn't changed throughout covid yeah and uh it it's a you know you can put your thumb on the scale in every part of government and tell any story you want and you can move the scale in your favor but you you can't lie about how many people died because right. there's death certificates right. and they get filed so I like to get to, I like subset data and I like big data. But you can lie about what they're dying from. You can lie about what they're dying from and put it in the news and scare the shit out of everybody exactly. and take away the freedoms and say that you're helping everyone. Exactly. But if the mortality rate hasn't changed and it's been on track for the way it has been for decades, well, then you kind of scratch your head and go, okay, that's all thumb scale. It's a way to, it's a filter, you know, it's a big filter. So I was just talking about that a little bit with everybody. It's um, actually one of the reasons I'm running. That's the, the, the idea of, uh, of one political party becoming an oppressor and uh, taking away our liberties over this COVID. I mean, when they shut my business down, that's really what motivated me to run. So, Well, talk to me a little bit. So you, uh, you, were in, uh, you ran District 13, right? Right, right, and, for six years. Are you out of Goodyear or Buckeye, or where, where are you out of? So that was Goodyear Litchfield Park. Okay. And that old district went to Yuma and Wickenburg, so it was a kind of a rural district. Mm -hmm. But now I'm back in my old na neighborhood of Scottsdale Fountain Hills. Okay, and that's that's not what is that district? That's LD23. It is 23. I yeah. thought it was a typo in some of the bio. I was like, oh, yeah, it went from 13 to 23. Okay, all right, yeah. cool. So you're running. So tell me what happened over there. So you were in for six years, and mm -hmm. then you lost the primary in eight, in 19. I did. It was a bit of a, a bit of an upset. So I'd been I, I took out an incumbent when I first ran. Uh, 10 years ago mm -hmm. and uh, who's that his name was Russ Jones he was a, a moderate Republican who was rated lower than some of the Democrats okay some of the voting scores okay. so I just ran against him as an unknown uh, at that time I was angry about the uh, the Great Recession so I was a general contractor custom home builder doing what I wanted to do Great Recession knocked me out of business but then I had to continue paying taxes to bail out the large businesses who were probably complicit in the you know, in the crash yeah, and because they were too big to fail. So that really yeah. angered me. I got involved. I just for the first time ran for the legislature and won, took out an incumbent. But I made a lot of enemies because I'm very conservative and, and, and kind of what you were talking about and just saying what you want to say and doing what you want to do. I did that. But you always, you do, you do make some enemies along the way. And after six years, they kind of caught up to me and I was running for Speaker of the House. I had my votes to be Speaker of the House. Uh, and I, they couldn't change that, so they had to take me out. So they, they pulled their money and took me out in the primary. So they just outspent you? They did, and they smeared my name. They How'd they smear your name? I mean, I'm going to ask you something. I'm sorry about that, but let, let, uh, yeah, let's hear no, how they operate. Absolutely. I love hearing on these things that so, operate. 
it's just so you and all your listeners know, about 27 years ago, I had a speeding ticket. <laughs> and uh, it was a criminal speeding ticket. I was going over 20 miles an hour on a back road between Pinell County and Maricopa County. And, and just so the rest of you know out there in America, outside of Phoenix and the metropolitan area, Arizona is a big, wide-open, little country road state with – it's pretty empty. Yeah, I never saw another car on the road. I had no doubt I was speeding. Uh, the officer was coming towards me. So I just paid the paid the ticket and went on my way. I mean, I went to court and paid the ticket, but 25 years later that popped up. And I no longer – I don't follow the law because I had a criminal speeding ticket. But how did they – how did they frame that? Because every, I mean, so they, what that, they do, it sounds like something everyone would call bullshit on it. It sounds you know, petty and ridiculous. It, it, it really, so what happened? It really is. But if people don't see you counter it, if, you, if they send out all these mailers, and then there's a list of things. So I had a ethics complaint filed against me by the Democrats in the House, which was just routinely just, you know, released. It was nothing. And, and it's supposed to be when, when something like that's released, uh, dismissed, it's personal. It's private. It's not supposed to be made public, but the Democrats gave it to these people, and so they, I had ethics violations. Uh, so, so the in the House they charged you with an ethics, ethics violation. Yeah, any member can can Char accuse can charge someone. accuse somebody of an ethics violation. Right. So in this <clears throat> excuse me, in this case, I was going to charge this Democrat with an ethics violation uh, for something she did to me on the floor. I mean, it, was, it was a long story, but I didn't. And I think to counter that, she went and preempted me by by filing one, which was dismissed. But so, you know, when you he's a criminal speeder, he has ethics problems in the house. They just kind of tie these things together and, and make you look like a bad person. Yeah. I ignored it, and I probably shouldn't have. So I ignored it because I thought people knew me and they knew what bullshit is bullshit. Yeah. But it didn't. I lost by uh, less than three points. Okay. All right. And then uh, the gal that won, um, she had, she was or the gal you lost in the primary, right? Right. So it's a Republican district. So whoever wins the primary was going to win. She won. She's one of the members today that is stopping school choice. That's stopping all the good stuff Republicans are trying to do. So she's become one of the. So she's a rhino. Yeah, she well definitely a rhino. Yeah, she was yeah. a never Trumper. She claims she's not, but she's she's in that. What's her name? Uh, Joanne Osborne. Joanna Osborne. Is she local down there too? Yeah, she came out of city council in Goodyear. Okay. Generally, city council folks are more liberal. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and and so she's down there and she's entrenched in the state politics, trying to make a name for herself, doing her thing. Yeah, I think she's going to have a really tough race this time. She has some really bad votes, uh, and I think that whether Steve Montenegro, <clears throat> excuse me, or someone like that runs against her, I think that they can take her out. Okay, and then you're um, running in, in 23, which is Scottsdale, and what else? Is Scott the reservation part of the uh, There's a little bit, but it's mostly Scottsdale, Fountain Hills. Okay. And so I live in Fountain Hills. That's where I lived before mm -hmm. I moved to the other side of town. So we moved back. We're building a new house, and uh, there's an open seat that became available. So I was asked to run for that, and I thought, you know what, because of the COVID shutdown of my business this time, I was motivated to run again. You know, I've been asked to run at the state level a bunch of times, and every time I go to a meeting, it feels like such a big colossal time suck that I just, I'm, 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 I almost am like uh, autistic about waste, and I just go, I can't waste. How, how do you find a way to make it productive to make it worth going back? Because I won't even contemplate running for any of the legislative offices in this land. I would only run for an executive office where I can kind of be a boss and make it happen. It seems like everything else is just a colossal. 
circle jerk. It's really tough. Yeah. So it's really frustrating. So for me as a small business owner, yeah. doing my own thing, being part of the legislature was very difficult because it's really a team sport. <laughs> and, and, and I'm such a loner. I know. And so, you know, guys like us generally are. You build your own business. You do, you know, your own thing. Uh, but you learn quickly that you can't do anything alone in the legislature by yourself. But, yeah, if I could be chief executive, yeah, that would be great. But uh, being one, one of the things that I have found that I have a skill at is being able to put together coalitions. So mm -hmm. I've been able to get coalitions together to build, uh, I'm sorry, to pass good bills and, to, and more importantly probably is to kill the bad bills. And so that's one of the things I have excelled at. So. Well, let's talk for a minute about that. So give me two of your best wins while you were mm. in. Because uh, I noticed that when I looked on your record, I see a bunch of principal sponsor, principal co-sponsor, sure. and then a bunch of co-sponsor. Right. Let's talk just about the ones where you're a principal in them. Maybe uh, a legislation you initiated. Sure. Um, you must have a favorite piece or two that you I pulled have, off. Uh, so, you know, it, it's kind of funny. But the, the, some of the favorites are actually what I killed. And I know that sounds negative. No, but, no, no. But, it's uh, fantastic. Yeah, so some of the favorites are what I killed. But there was a one uh, that came out of a constituent in Yuma that I really like. And so I didn't know this as a citizen or as a legislator that uh, this was probably know, six years ago. Um, the law in Arizona was if you were uh, a criminal, if you were, if you were arrested and tried and convicted of a felony, you have to serve 85% of your sentence before being eligible for parole. But if you were an illegal, you only had to serve 50%. And no, it doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive. But I had a... Uh, I had, and then you know what? It should be the same. It should be like, the same. Yeah. Or go home. Exactly. <laughs> and so other. I had a constituent who was a nurse in Yuma. She was uh, hit by a drunk driver, a felony, and he'd been arrested several times, illegal alien. Uh, she was incapacitated, could no longer work. And 50% of his, uh, after 50% of his uh, incarceration time, she got a letter saying he's going to be released. She felt victimized all over. So I looked into it, found out that during the bad economy that the legislature, before I ever got there, had changed it to allow illegals out early. So thinking that they would be sent back to the country. Now, this guy had had several DUIs. He, they just drop them off at the border. They come back. It's, it's not a big deal. So I changed that. I wrote a law and I made it the same. Everybody convicted of the same crime gets the same. That's what you right? did. Yeah. And it's kind of, so, but I'll tell you, that passed. It was huge protest at the Capitol. All of these groups. You've seen uh, the Kristen Cinema. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the bathroom with that group. Yeah. So the, that same group tied themselves to the Capitol doors. A couple of them were sent home. We're not citizens. We're sent, uh, you know, back to Mexico. Yeah. But it was a big deal, and it just seems so common sense. It's such a fair thing that why would one one person, you know, get a different sentence or be eligible for parole before another person based on their citizenship? So, it seems like a big segue, but it's really not. It was one of my favorite things of the Trump presidency is, um, he defines everybody. Yeah. If you show up, we're gonna know what your color is, and when I mean color, I mean we're gonna know your values, what you stand for, what your belief is, and what you think as you fight him because you will be called out right. and it was an interesting thing i see this there's there are reasonable things that almost all of us can agree on across this country and there are radical groups who mobilize to burn the goddamn place down yep. and i just scratch my head it was the best thing of the trump presidency i mean we found out most democrats are straight up communists they're not the old democrats of my parents yeah, they're gone it's different yeah and uh, it, that that's the big upside because 
my friends, you know, like I, I'm right on that 50, 55 cusp. Everybody older than me still watches the news and thinks they're informed. Right. And my friends who watch the news, um, you know, they've been very divided by all of the malarkey that they're being told. And then they talk with me and they think I'm insane. And I go, you gotta, you can't listen to NBC for God's sake, you know? know. And this guy is, they, they think that there's still this reasonable group of Democrats and Republicans who are basically talking over how much to spend on schools. It's just not the conversation that's going on. Yeah, it's not the case. And, you know, uh, in the legislature, the Democrats are, if, if you look at the makeup of the Democrats in the legislature, they're of a certain type of person, that a certain uh, philosophy, and they're they're part of the protest class. They're, they're not about what you're talking about, not being a reasonable center, trying to get, you know, prudent funding for something. It's about the others it's 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 a total leftist group mm -hmm. that they don't want to talk to you they don't want to be reasonable they you know they just want to they want a revolution is really what they want it's funny because trump was a clarifier and i love that about him too he he was able to clarify and cut through and, and that's probably what people who don't like him you know don't like about him as well but uh we're in tough times this yeah. is a tough time right now i think um you know america's uh America's like an old riverboat fight in the 1800s. They used to go 100 rounds. And uh, guys would all break their hands in them. And it was a war of attrition. Right. You know, these barehanded fights that went on for hundreds of rounds. You know, uh, gentleman Jim Corbett thought, fought 113 rounds one time. I think about America like 113 or a 250-round fight. And we got a couple of bad rounds. But sometimes there's this... You said clarity. There's clarity that comes from bad rounds. We're getting some clarity right now. Yeah, I you know think my so. friends in their fifties and sixties who think, you know, it's kind of business as usual, and we just have some nutters on the fringe. They're finding out there's nutters in the mainstream right now, and we need to do something to get rid of them. And they're feeling like it's not just a political swing. It's a in je there's a jeopardy moment where we're in jeopardy. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the audit. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that clarifies. So the audit, the Senate audit, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was completely, you know, the media was against it from the beginning. They right. tried to trivialize it. They it undermined it the entire sad, time the entire saying time. it was corrupt. Right. And then the day before, the day, the morning of uh, the results being released, uh, there was a little snippet that was released and they were able to put out a propaganda. So all the news networks carried it. And anybody who watched that thought, wow, the audit was a wash. Everything's fine. This was just a waste of time and money. In fact, even conservatives that I know thought that. Yeah, me too. And then I was like, well, no, no, no. Yeah. You have to look at the facts and look at what's coming out since then, since the actual report. Look at the report. I mean, it's amazing of what they found. It's a deep read. Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing is I was confused by, lots of, by a lot of it because I'm not from that election sure. camp. I'm not from that election world um, where, you know, what, is a, what does a duplicate ballot mean? Mm -hmm. What does a... Uh, damaged ballot like what's that pro you know since you don't know the process right there's not a lot of contextual description so i go i don't know what that means does that mean there's another ballot and they staple them together and they count the first one or does it mean the first one was damaged so they made up a new one you know there's lots of stuff sure. like that in it that i was i said oh, i'm not sure about that i'm not sure about this so what's your just your executive two sentence thought <laughs> on on the uh on on the uh, on 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 the recount, I mean, not the recount. The audit. It was a recount on yeah. the audit. Was do you did it all go one direction? I mean, are our elections all sloppy within a half a percent, and we just saw that our, yeah. our inherent sloppiness, or was everything in one direction? Were all the little, you know, those little sure. pieces of uh, uh, yarn they put on race cars to 
put them in a wind tunnel and right. see where the – were those all pointing in the same direction? So I think every election has a certain amount, obviously, Yeah, you know, human error. But uh, in this case, and I worked the election, you know, I was in CD6 working that election every day. I was talking to people. We were polling. I was at sites. It didn't seem to be the end, the end result that came after the election night when everyone, the people that voted that last day were primarily our voters. They were Trump voters. They were Republicans. Not afraid of, not afraid of going in. That's they didn't right. need their they masks. And they yeah. were traditional voters that went on election day. Yeah. And the Democrats weren't going out anyway. So we knew it wasn't their vote, that they weren't Democrats voting. And, and so, for example, in some of our cases, uh, the day after we, we, we took two and a half points, we got two and a half points more for our candidates after election night but but trump didn't and so there was so for initially i thought well this is odd because i expected trump to get those same votes uh but from what i understand on the audit is there needs to be arrest made and indictments made and i know i wasn't part of it but i do know that people destroyed evidence and they were employees of the county yeah it sounds like about 50 percent of all of the uh, election recording uh, was erased from yeah, hard drives. Yeah, and I, I think... Uh, and they don't know why, and, and they don't know who did it. And I think Congressman Biggs was hitting on it yesterday in Congress when he had some when he had a couple of the supervisors in front of him, saying, you guys you guys uh, destroyed some evidence. And they said, well, we always do. We, we destroy things uh, to make more room on the routers or whatever. And he said, well, no, 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 these were under subpoena. But from what I understand, that the Attorney General has gotten some evidence that there is, there is at least one county employee who did this the day before the subpoenaed evidence was sent to the Senate, and they need to get that person, and they need to pressure him and see if he was, if he was told or she was told to do so. Yeah. And if he was that, or she was, that's, a, that's collusion, that's a conspiracy. So I don't know. So I think that part of the audit is, is I don't know what happened or we may not know it, but we feel something may have happened. Let's find out. I mean, yeah. don't, aren't we all concerned that we should have a system that's, you know, reliable, dependable? Yeah. I was, uh, you know, and I'm going to get a bunch of trolls commenting that the election's over, quit being pussies and crying about it. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things when the big game gets away from you and it was a bad call, that one sticks with you for years sure. and years and years whenever you get together with your buddies. When you just lose the game, you go, God, remember that one time we got our teeth kicked in? And you can kind of laugh about it because, you know, you lose. I, it, there's, um, there's, you know, there's all sorts of theory and, and uh, possibility on why someone loses. Um you know, why does the down ballot go one way and mm -hmm. the top goes the opposite way? It doesn't happen. But he's a polarizing guy, so it could happen. It's possible. So, yeah. yeah. What I didn't like is the stuff happening after election night. I didn't like the stuff coming in the next day. Mm -hmm. The photocopied, I mean, photocopied ballots? Sure. That's not fixing a ballot. That's something else. When would we ever photocopy a ballot in any situation? Exactly. And I've been in polling stations my entire adult life. I've never seen that kind of equipment there. Right. So that's something happening off-site coming in. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, elections are close almost all the time. A big blowout's up a couple of points. Right. And so right now, uh, you know, the, what I don't see is the interstate collusion. And, and to have it happen in Arizona kind of blindsided me. I was I was flabbergasted. Did he just turn off that many people that they were just pissed at him? Right. And then what's it going to be like now? So, but you know what? The interesting thing about that was we were doing polling uh, for several congressional districts in Arizona prior prior to the election, mm -hmm. right? prior to COVID. And prior to COVID, Trump was going to win Arizona in a landslide. 
his numbers were astronomical in the, in the rural districts. The Democrats even liked them. So those were you talking about the old blue dogs, like yeah. the grandparents. Yeah. They actually do exist in the rural districts, yeah. all going our way. So the independents were all going our way. And, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but the fact that COVID came out and, and was responded to in the way that it was, changed all of that he lost to covid no yeah, question exactly. about it and it was kind of a kobayashi maru from star trek it was almost unwinnable yeah because in one hand you shut the country down and decimate people's lives sure in the other hand there's some attrition of life and it, it all gets hung on your on your uh on your coat hanger that's you right know? the political opponents would definitely do it either i mean if you look at what they were just saying yesterday i mean more people have died under president biden from covid than died under president bush i'm sorry president trump of covid yeah and so but you'll never hear that because you know it's it's all politicized right and and even if it does get said it'll be said because of the trajectory and the uh, planning of the previous administration that's, that's right it was his fault and, and so you know the thing that i hear over and over again when we talk about politics and we talk about the government at, at the state at the federal and, and at the local levels accountability so there is nobody strung up for this stuff there's nobody thrown in jail. When they squander a billion dollars, nobody gets in trouble. Right. When they when they fucking kill five thousand people and uh, botch a, a war, not one fucking general's head rolls. Right. How is every field grade staff officer still in in their positions of authority after what happened in Afghanistan? Right. So the president makes that call. How is somebody not on the record saying that he was strongly advised not to, the military was not behind, the State Department was not behind this? You know, like all of my regular foot soldier guys down at my level who were like door kickers and shooters, right. they all knew this was going to fall into chaos. Mm -hmm. And how did the generals, how can they dare say that they didn't know? How can the State Department say it? So nobody gets in trouble for anything. Yeah, so They just do whatever they want. Those people who do disagree, who have the guts to stand up, do get in trouble. Like but, this lieutenant colonel, exactly, you, you exactly. know, they're they're going to toast this guy, and yep. they're going to technically they're going to get him. Yeah, he he violated a direct order about keeping quiet. So you know, I think that that's ultimately when you're talking about you know winning, uh, we've lost a few battles, but looking at the long the long run, ultimately, and I know we're going through hell to get there, but this Biden presidency is probably going to be that catalyst that puts us to where we need to be. I hope. I mean, I I was hoping that would be the case last time, but. After seeing these kinds of failures internationally, economic, and you know, social across the board, yeah. trying to change the fabric of the country so quickly and so drastically to one to one way, I mean, uh, I think, I hope, I mean, there has to be some hope. I hope that we're going to stand up together and and, and fight this and change it. When you're talking about you're you're not you're willing to do whatever and say whatever and let the chips fall where they may, that's what we all need to do. Mm -hmm. So politicians, people that get elected, need to be direct and, and honest and say the same thing that they believe in. Take the you know. You're going to turn off a certain amount of the segment of your district or society, but you have to do it. You have to be accountable and stand up for what you believe in. But citizens need to do it. Yeah, I think everybody needs to do it. Um, I, You know, there is something going on with Southwest Airlines. Now, oh, yeah. I, so I'm a pilot. Yeah. I was an air show performer for several years, and I know all, I was in the Warbird community. I had a bunch of old military airplanes, and I knew a lot of dudes who were airline pilots. All my buddies were airline pilots for right. at least a decade. And um, these dudes are pissed, and I don't know if, you know, they are, everyone is doing their best to say that that wasn't a sick out that happened yesterday. Right. And Southwest Airlines is swearing that it wasn't a sick out. Um, I guess there's some liability for them if it was a sick out. They got to pay for all the travelers' expenses who were 
inconvenienced or abandoned sure. by it. But there's something going on. And I, I'm, you know, my call to my fellow citizens, to our fellow citizens, is we need people say to me all the time, uh, oh, Greg, you're, man, you're so lucky. What a cool business you have. What a cool thing you got. And I go, you're right. I am totally lucky. And I said, you know, and they say, you know, I would love to do something. And I go, why don't you? Exactly. And they go, oh, I got, I got two little kids and wife. I go, I had two little kids and wife too when I started this. I got within, I got within moments of missing my first mortgage payment, right. of, of not paying my first bill in my whole life when I started this up. Um, Americans, we have been beat down mm-hmm. for generations now. It started, it, it really has started with modern feminism. And it was the crushing of male, the crushing of adventure, the crushing of the spirit of can do, the crushing of the spirit of hard work will overcome, and the elevation of intellects. And intellects should be smoking pot and drinking absinthe (laughs) and sitting in a coffee shop and hanging out with fucking Jack Kerouac. They shouldn't be running the show. And we've got intellectuals running the show. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Thomas Sowell, but he's one of my favorite voices, American voices. He's an economist, he's black, he's smart as hell, and he talks about uh, education being uncoupled from intellectualism, being uncoupled from the real world experience, and you get insanity out of it. Well, there we are. And there we are. Um, We've got lots of pedigreed, educationed um, people. They're wearing the right clothes, and they're going to the right schools, and they hold their fork the right way, and they've got the border opened up, and they're bringing in people, they've uh, torn down the, you know, they're tearing at the fabric of our country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you're going to, at the state level, you're going to jump in and give us an idea what you're going to do to counter that tide of uncoupled intellectualism that's making highfalutin sure. intellectual decisions that are ruining our fucking country. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So when I ran before, I ran as a small business guy. So I, I always thought, my experience, my hands-on experience of building a business was the most important experience I had to take with me to the legislature, and I still think that it's it's what I advocate on my behalf of myself and with voters. That's that's why I think they should vote for me, based also on the fact that I have six years of experience in the legislature. So, uh, and then we don't have time to train someone else. When I when I get elected, if I get elected, I'll you can hit the ground running. Hit the ground one. running. Right. Yeah. I mean, Is it I, a two-year term state? It's local? a two-year term, two, so okay. you're almost you know constantly running, but. Yeah. But in that, in those six years, I was chairman of Ways and Means. I wrote this tax policy, the tax cuts, regulatory reform, especially for small businesses. Uh, I was uh, vice chairman of public safety. So, you know, this is another part of the defund the police thing that's going on now. I have experience in those areas. But I was also chairman of the of the Liberty Caucus. I was the longest mm-hmm. running chairman of the Liberty Caucus, which is the, you know, our the, the legislature's equivalent of the Freedom Caucus and Congress is a conservative mm-hmm. caucus. And when I was there, when I left, Half of the republic, more than half of the Republicans in the House, also belonged to our caucus. It's not that way anymore, but that meant we had a really good base where we could kill really bad bills. Is it fewer? It's fewer. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are fewer already, but then when you, when you have three, probably three, what we would call rhinos, uh, at least three in the House, we just, it's really hard to get anything through. So when you look at what they did with uh, some of the bills that have been knocked down on, uh, that were put into the budget this time, and they went to court. They did that because they didn't have the votes to, to vote for those as standalone mm-hmm. bills, so they put them in the budget. Uh, and now they're probably going to you know be negated. But we need to get, and after redistricting, I hope this will be the case, where we'll boost our numbers <clears> back <throat> up, but we also need to boost our numbers within 
that our caucus to be more conservative. And I think we're moving that way because of the events of the, just what's happening and the way society is going. So one of the things, like I said before, one of the things that I am capable of doing and have experience at is putting together coalitions. But I, I want, there, obviously, election integrity is going to be a huge, huge deal. And, and, and It's yeah. kind of the cornerstone thing, because if we don't have that, we have zero. Exactly. And it's easy to do if you have the right number of votes. Um, and right now, frankly, we don't have enough Republicans to do what we need to do. But even if you went to one vote, uh, you know, one election day in person, voter ID, you know, kind of a traditional way we used to do it. Yeah. Uh, you could probably solve. You mean like last election? I mean the one before. What? I mean, not the Trump the, in 2016. That's what we ran. Oh, yeah, it. but I'm, I'm even saying eliminate mail-in ballots altogether unless you have a valid, you know, uh, valid reason you're in the hospital. The mail-in ballots are a sloppy it's thing. It's really, really difficult. Yeah. You, you know, they've known about this for voting since ancient Greece. You yeah. know, it's one person, <laughs> one vote, one time in front of exactly. You know, it's, it's, and it's got to be private. Yep. You know, uh, it can't be somebody translating your vote, right? Because then you're you're on the Russian plan. It's not who votes; it's who counts. Yep. And I think that's what's going on here. It's it is. And I, we've tried to bite, or, you know, kind of nibble around the edges on this in terms of being able to stop people from handing in other people's ballots, or you know, you have to sign if you help somebody. You can't collect people now that aren't family members, that kind of thing. But we just we've had. Uh, the attorney general is prosecuting a case right now out of Yuma, and that used to be part of next to part of my district. Notorious voter fraud going on in San Luis, Arizona, on the border. The FBI has, excuse me, been investigating it for years. Everyone knows it. It's always held that the voting booth uh, was always held in a Democrat next to the Democrat station, the Democrat Party station, and it was just. Literally, boxes would be coming out of the back door. I mean, no one knows what was going on. But on election day here, I mean, most of our poll workers, I don't know if you, you noticed this or not, if you were in any polls, but most of them were from California. They weren't even Arizonans working our poll stations. And I went around all of our polling stations in, in CD6, and they'd be Californians, and they would be telling us, you know, you can't do this, you can't stand this close. And we were completely within our rights of, you know, the, the 300 feet. Uh, but they were trying to dissuade Republicans from from getting to the polls or being able to hand out their their information. And so I, I would like to see that all poll workers have to be citizens of Arizona. Maybe, maybe I mean, that's astounding to me know, that you can it? bring people in from yeah. California and have them basically officiate our election. That's exactly. unbelievable. Yeah, it's a basic thing. So, uh, you know, people will say it's hard to get people, but and it, it is, but we're going to have to do it. And and I think that somebody has to have voted in the last election to be able to work the poll. So that'll get rid of all of that. So these things are easily corrected. We know how to do it. And uh, we just have to have the votes and people have, you know, one of the things I'm concerned about it for Republicans is that we don't turn off some of the voters that won't show up next time because they think that their vote doesn't count. And we need those folks to show up. Oh, the because next of the election. Exactly. I know, I know. I've been yeah. talking about this too, because if only, you know, if, if, if only one in a hundred Republicans go, God, we can't beat, they're just going to cheat no matter what. And they just keep working. Exactly. Cause they're all at work. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> they, we work. That's 1% we lose. <laughs> no, I know. And, and that could be the margin in, in this day. So, uh, that's my concern. I don't want to talk down, uh, uh, the election process in a way that dissuades people from making it out because it's more important than ever that everyone shows up. So. Yeah. Um, so uh, I have a tendency, I always like to ask people, if someone asks me, you know, when I run for governor four years from now, um, if you ask me what are the three things sure. that I'll do, I can dive right in. Yeah. Um, if someone said, hey, we want you to run for federal, you know, for national office, 
I know exactly where I would go because my parents were like, hey, don't complain unless you got a fix, you know, so That's I always right. come with something. Yep. Um, tell me what it is as you jump into back into Arizona legislature, what's the fix you bring? Um, do you got a big three that you'd like to go for in the I next probably few have, years? Probably uh, three, four, five or so, but, you know, election integrity, I want to be part of that. I don't think they'll be able to completely fix the problem in the next session, so if I get elected after that, uh, meaningful reform on election and election system is important. So that the COVID shutdown is like I said, what has really prompted me. So uh, the governor overreached his powers in shutting down the economy in Arizona. That really pissed me off mm -hmm. and that's what motivated me. Uh, so I wanna make sure that his executive powers are rolled back. That, that happened during 9-11, that those powers were granted to the Arizona executive. They need to be rolled back. They need to be able to be reaffirmed by the legislative body. You're talking about like Patriot Act stuff that happened? Some of the Patriot Act, but we did in Arizona, basically giving the governor, uh, the executive, more powers for emergency powers during a, a you know a state emergency. I think that's bad. It is bad. It's and bad it's because in emergency, misused. shit will just happen that needs to happen. We'll all get it sorted out. You know, when he said the other day, there was no way for me to invalidate electors, so I'm just going to continue. For you know what? He should have said... um, Listen, I'm not sure what the mechanism here, but Arizona officially wants to protest. This didn't go right. Right. And I don't, you know, it, it doesn't, you don't have to sw flip the approval switch if you disapprove. If there's no mechanism to disapprove, you start, the mechanism That's is right. court. That's right. Exactly. You start making a stink and yep. you go have a press conference yep. and you say, look, here's what happened. And it's clear there's something wrong. Right. And Bronovich and I are going after heads. And I'm I'm a lame duck, but we're gonna we're taking out ten people from this. Right. Here's the tops on our list, and scare the shit out of the people who are breaking these laws. No. They need to bring the might instead of against General Flynn. They mm -hmm. need to break bring it against people who are breaking the law. Yeah, no, I agree. And so you know nobody did that. And, and so when you look at the county supervisors, who so I hate him by the way. Which I'm one? so mad at Ducey? him. Ducey. Ducey. Oh, yeah, with Ducey's. Yeah. I mean. Just the epitome of a mamby-pamby executive who's not making the tough calls. He's making easy calls. That's right. And, the, uh, and, and not honoring so freedom. This is a free state. We have, uh, you know, we have elected officials who are looking out for their careers. And you can see it. You he's a lame duck. Why wasn't he a badass? You could be a gangster when you're a lame because duck. Because he's more concerned about what he's doing next and what he thinks he's going to be able to do next. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Because the truth is, if he, if, if he had, but he doesn't have that ability. To the truth up. is, if he'd been a baller, he'd have a better job waiting for him. Exactly. No, that's what I was going to say. Exactly. <laughs> because he would be, but he, that's not his, that's just not his nature. But we need people to, that are going to stand. We need to roll back. And I'll tell you what, the, the legislature created the Board of Supervisors, their powers flow through the legislature and those powers that the county all the county supervisors have or all the 15 counties needs to be rolled back we have got to take control of what's going on my view is uh if you look at the budget of maricopa county our largest county in the state it's a huge budget those five people have staffs chiefs of staff they have i mean they have perks that the legislature doesn't have by, by far and they have a lot of power with very little oversight and which I group is this the board of supervisors okay and so i want to start pulling that power back. i want to and are they elected? They are elected, yes. Okay. So, uh, but that's a problem, and I need we want to look at that. I, I want to go back before any of this stuff happened, the election or COVID. Is my my goals would be and still are uh, tax reform. I you know I wrote the only bill that I know of that's been dropped where I was eliminating income tax, and that was a bill that I wrote. It was uh, which was actually one of the things they used against me my last campaign. I, the first bill I wrote when I got elected 
was to do away with uh, uh, public employee pensions. So I give you an idea where I'm coming from. So that we did get rid of elected officials' pensions that year in 2012. Yeah. But uh, so I want to do those kinds of reforms. Uh, anything that we can do to help businesses. So in, in LD23, the, obviously the restaurants and bars were decimated because mm -hmm. of the COVID. I don't know what we can do, but I want to streamline things for them to get back on their feet and get the economy going. I'm not talking about handouts. I'm talking about the way they interact with government. Well, you know, Trump showed that to everybody. What he showed was we've been a caged animal for 50 years. And if you just take our muzzle off, we will eat the fucking planet up with our our creativity, with our work, with our ingenuity. Yep. He just basically pulled the reins yeah, off. Yeah, it's American dynamism. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, that's what I love. I mean, I get chills uh, just thinking about I've never had a president do stuff that directly impacted me so much. Sure. And also, didn't I never had a president who kind of captured my imagination of how cool the country is. <laughs> um, and I fell in love with the country as a, as a small boy standing in front of George Washington's grave. I have a picture of my son standing in the same place. And I fell in love with the country then. And I didn't, and, you know, it's what got me in the Marine Corps. Sure. It's what got me kind of, it steered me. It was a rudder, a silent rudder of my boat that's been steering me my whole life. But he made me fall head over heels crazy in love with the country. Yeah. As harsh a critic as I am, equally as impassioned with how awesome it is. And, and, and we need that. So for me, it was Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan was the first president I ever voted for. And uh, I loved Ronald Reagan. Obviously, he was pro-American and, and the American spirit. Uh, when I when Trump ran in 2016, I didn't know. I did not know. I was not one of those early Trumpers because I didn't know. And I actually didn't like any of the candidates. Yeah. And uh, I said the day he announced, I go, oh, he's winning. So like, he, I've been a crazy early he's, Trumper. He's very intriguing. Yeah. But so what what what, uh, what I was curious about was some of his supports of, of Democrats. And I realized he was a businessman in Manhattan and he had to, you know, grease the wheel. Yeah. But it, it worried me because I didn't know. And so, you know, in the legislature, we would always say, because everyone says they're conservative and you never know where everyone's campaigning. They're all conservatives. But you don't know what somebody is until they start voting on the floor. And when right. they start voting on the floor, you see what they're made of. And so I came out of that and I thought, huh, I don't know what Trump's going to be like when he was the nominee. As soon as he's a nominee, I was out giving speeches on his behalf. I mean, I was, you know, but not until he became president and the policies that he put in the policies. I didn't know he was going to be such a badass. He, the policies are what I'm in love with. Those, <laughs> the policies are more conservative than any president in my lifetime. And I thought it was going to be. The, I voted for the Supreme Court. Oh, yes. I was like, ah, Supreme Court. And then and then he turned out to be what and I was like. Holy smokes. Yeah. I was blown away. I get chills thinking about it. You know, um, I think that that's the thing. We're going to, he will be a model for how to do things for a long time. Quietly, people who are smart will be looking at what he did going, okay. Well, he's broken all the models he, he, before his. I mean, now you're right. It's different now. It is different. Yeah. It is different. And um, it's interesting when I hear 1950s and 1970s Democrat phrasing and 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 they're they're outdated we have moved along we know capitalism is an easy engine to turn on it's not that complicated it doesn't need yelling and all these other people right mussing with things behind the scenes from wall street exactly. figuring it out at the fed get out of the way Leave let us, us do what we exactly. did and uh anybody who didn't pick that message out which to me is a message of hope and inspiration because all is. you gotta do is get out of my way exactly and i can do some cool stuff so uh when, when i'm running for governor i'm gonna reach out <laughs> so we can talk and you can help me out on some of this stuff okay whatever i can <laughs> <laughs>
Um, yeah, you know, uh, I had a group come to me a couple of years ago and say, hey, you know, we're thinking about maybe a couple million bucks to, for you to get going. We'd love to have you around. And I said, oh, Jesus, man, I just got my knife company going. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> uh, and I said, you know, I, I don't know if my family's ready to hear the, the assault that's going to happen on me because I'm too polarizing. So, yeah, I don't know. But after the Trump thing, I was like, I almost feel obligated. So, you know, hey, a couple things. Uh, after Trump, everything's changed. And so, and, and first of all, what I wanted to say about these voters, these Republican, the more traditional Republican voters that were turned off by Trump. And when I, whenever I would meet them, I'd go door to door, I would say, forget about it. Forget about the, you don't like his abrasiveness or his personality or whatever you think's going on. Just vote, look at the policy and compare it to what the policy was or will be under someone else, under a Democrat. Yeah. Because people get lost in that. And that, that's what's different, I think, now. I mean, you, you think back, Trump, just exploded those old traditional models and the, his personality, the way he interacts with the public, the tweets, the direct response to the public is all different. And it's, it's changed everything. And I think it also makes the current president, besides all the other obvious things, it makes him look more incompetent because he can't do that. He doesn't have what Trump had. He doesn't draw the attention. The people, his supporters don't, you know, don't clamor to see him or hear from him. They're just defending him because of the positions that he's taken that are far left. But there's not any of that. There's no energy on that side. Well, the traditional establishment, it, I think, is a very, very reactionary lot. I've said this for a long time. Whenever you show up to office, it's all kind of working when you get there. Sure. It's, it's, it's kind of working now. It's not awesome. Got some problems. Right. Easily fixed problems. Self-induced mayhem. Um, but what happens is they feel like they got to do something to make a mark and they start making all these changes and then there's all the unintended consequences and mm -hmm. nothing ever goes away. You know, it's like uh, somebody gets a brand new car. You know, you buy a brand new car for your son or for your daughter and the first thing you want to do is have somebody buff it or polish it. Well, they, just leave it alone. It's good. Right. It'll, it'll be good for a few years. There's this tendency for everybody to get there and then they let the town steer them into finding things to do right he showed up and said hey here's what we're going to do yes let's pull this regulation out let's prop up business let's block some of this crazy illegal activity mm -hmm. that that we're condoning at our ports i mean we're saying this all this intellectual theft and all of yeah. this stolen intellectual property that's making its way to this country all these knockoffs of my knives he started stopping right. all that stuff now within a year of him being gone it's all back on the market again but exactly. it was getting stiff-armed pretty hard because he was just telling CBP, hey, in the ports, which are controlled by organized crime and the people that are at ports, stop this stuff. It can't come in the country. And if it does, there, here's the fine. Here's yeah. the problem. And it stopped a lot of it. And it just all turned back on again. Exactly. The corruption just, he was turning off corruption. That's right. He was definitely going after what is we traditionally call the establishment. And the establishment obviously didn't like it. Mm. But, you know, it's true here, it's true in Washington, is that the bureaucracy runs everything. When you, when you say everything's kind of running along, and it is, when you get into office, you have to buck the establishment. You mm -hmm. have to buck the bureaucracy because, so, like, uh, as a committee chairman at the legislature at that, you know, level, low level, the bureaucracy, the staff will still run everything, and they will counter you. Every time I try to do something they fight major, everything. they will fight fight it. No, there's a reason you can't do that. It's going to go to court. I go, uh, let's go to court. I want to go to court. Yeah. And no, no, we don't want to do that. But you have to stand up to these people. Otherwise, you let them win. And they're not, they're unelected bureaucrats. Right. You know, and that's right. what happens is people get, people without backbones get elected and get pushed around. And that's what's happening now. I don't think Biden's doing anything. I think no. the, the establishment's doing, getting back to where they want to be. You know, your knockoff knives are competing. All the stuff that's happening. I mean, everybody looks at what's happening in the world, in the country and thinking, what the hell's happening to our country? It's not the country I, I grew up in. 
it's not the country I believed in. It's not where I want my children to, to grow up or to pass on to them. And it's like, we see that ups, now everything that's, you know, it's upside down. Everything that we think was wrong is right. But that's not even the, the dem, it's, a, it's a small fraction or it's a minority fraction of the Democrat party that actually believes all that too. And they're running the country and they're, they're changing it. And we, I mean, we just have to get motivated. Everybody has to get motivated to, to make changes, but you have to stand up and say, you know, I got so tired of people saying I was afraid to put a, a Trump sign in my yard, or I was afraid to say, I support Trump. And, and then you would see if you, you now this happened to you, if you, people knew you were a Trump supporter, they'd come up and tell you I'm oh, a Trump supporter. I'm oh Trump. yeah. But they won't tell anyone else. Or, you know. When I put the 40-foot flagpole up and, and <laughs> I had the sign. big flag and they would stop at my house and knock on the door with food. Right. <laughs> I'm like, are you poisoning me? You're like, no way, drunk, roll away. Look at the back of my truck. <laughs> <laughs> but people need to be able to stand up. It happened in 2016. You could start to see people coming out of the woodwork. And they were afraid of whatever. I mean, they were afraid of their neighbors or their jobs or whatever. So because of you support a certain person for president, it's crazy. And what we just have to stand up for ourselves. The way I see it, and I think Donald Trump would say it best when he said, they're not going after me. They're going after you. When they attack me, yeah. Donald Trump, they're going after you. Yeah, for sure. And that's what it is. You know, there's another weird thing that just it's, uh, kind of boggles my mind and this is something that if I were to get in uh, executive office in this state, I would be after. And I would go after every company head and every executive and say, how dare you vote left of center, <laughs> you bunch of cowards? How <laughs> dare you? How you dare you be sucking off the teat of capitalism and espousing leftist crap? Is that getting you laid at home? What is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, I've said there's four reasons to be a leftist in this country, right? One is... Uh, you're embarrassed. You just made too much money and you don't think you earned it. You haven't resolved right. the inequities of life. Two, you're lazy. Three, you're jealous. And four, you're virtue signaling. You want to let people know that you have virtue. Right. Those are the only four reasons. And I like to always find libs. And I like to kind of ask him real fun in a kind of convivial way. I like to ask him Which about one are you? And I like to find out <laughs> what guy was that. Oh, you're an apologist. Yeah. Like, how do you do that? You, you, you're, you're driving a Maserati. How can you possibly be a leftist? Yeah. What would you do to get your money? And you start finding out that they were in some hedge fund and they made, and they feel guilty about right. it. Right. And deep down inside, if you did the psychology, you'd go, oh, you feel guilty, don't you? You shouldn't have that much. You didn't do anything. You're 37 and retired. And you think you're that smart. Right. <laughs> I run into capitalist leftists yeah. and it boggles my mind. So, you know, that big business... And big business in Arizona, which is the, you know, I mean, it's all run by the Arizona uh, Chamber of Commerce. They're all the ones that run it. Always butting heads with me, opposing me, running candidates against me because of tax credits. So we would give out, the state would give out tax credits, hundreds of millions of dollars of tax credits. They're still on the books of the, the certain companies. You can name the large uh, companies uh, <laughs> that are based here. But they, you would think that these companies, globally successful, right? Uh, are relying on tax credits to get by, not to get by, but just to pad their coffers at the expense of everyone else, right? Ex expense of small businesses, not getting it, not being able to compete, because that's what they're really doing is they're trying to keep out the competition. They don't want anyone else coming here that's a large boy, but they don't want any of the small guys growing up either. And so we give, and those are the people that run certain candidates for governor successfully. It's really hard to become governor in Arizona as a conservative. 
a true conservative because that's why. Because they run those campaigns, they put in tens of millions of dollars, and they pull the strings. And those are the ones my Democrat friends, my old Democrat friends, call country club Republicans. Yes, exactly. They're those, and, and we call them kind of rhinos. Yep. Mitt Romney's in that crowd. Sure. Um, they're, 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 it's a big crowd. Yeah, it's a big crowd. Because <laughs> it's a way to get but, there. That's right. And and maybe that's what they really believe too. I don't know. I won't, you know, cast this cast dispersions on what they believe, but it's just not what I believe. And it's hard to buck the system and say, I'm gonna look out and Trump did this, but I'm gonna look out and it's funny because he's not a little guy. That's crazy. You know? And he's a hot dog eating, yeah. bad suit wearing. <laughs> just he's a developer though, which I really like about him. Yeah, I'd like that too. He's run up against the worst Tammany Hall imaginable, you know, to get a permit to put in a bathroom in New York is a nightmare. And he was able to do all kinds of amazing yeah, things. Yeah, imagine the corruption in Manhattan. Oh my God, I can't even think about it because there's corruption at every level. So many places I poke my little nose. Right. I'm like, what was he dealing with doing these big hotels and redoing the ice rink in Central and Central Park? And, and he got it all done. Yeah. I, you know, my biggest, my favorite phrase of all Trumpisms ever, besides, you know, everything woke turns to shit, which is one of my favorites. <laughs> Um, my, one of my favorite phrases that I heard him say, uh, they had asked him about that ice rink deal. I'm sure you're familiar. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who don't know out there, um, they'd been, the city had been redoing an ice rink at central park for like seven years and they were way upside down. He was, him. he was redoing a hotel across yeah. the street. And every time he looked out the hotel, there's this big, ugly construction site. So he goes, I don't know if it was Ed Koch at the time, but he goes to the mayor and says, Hey, why don't you get it done? And the mayor says this and says that. And he says, look, I'll tell you what, I'll do it for it was some number. Right. He goes, I'll do it for this. I'll have it done by then if you let me do it and make sure I get the permits. They said, and and, and it was a hot potato. They said, oh, this arrogant guy, let's give it to him. Yeah. He'll never get it done. He had it all done. It was under budget. It was beautifully landscaped. And it was he was doing it because it made right. a difference to his building, right? So he was asked by this reporter afterwards. He said, how did you do it? And he said, because you get what you inspect, not what you expect. And that's the way I run my life. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. It was a, like a little nugget. You don't yeah. get what you expect. You get what you inspect. All right. And I was like, Oh, I just, I, I just fell in love with the guy. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really a testament to him to be able to do what he did at his age in particular in Manhattan in that system. Because I, I, you know, as a contractor, I don't really deal with that kind of thing here, but from what I've read and seen, that's a whole different life back in Manhattan in uh, New York. And yeah, it could take a year to get a permit to put a bathroom yeah. in. That's what that place is like. It's crazy. Right. Crazy. It is uh, intellectual nuttiness run amok. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to wrap up with telling us uh, about uh, what you've got planned? And uh... So uh, for me, it's it's just my experience and my business experience both. Uh, but no, I, I, if you if you support the president, if you uh, support less government involvement in your lives, rolling back wokeism, the, you know all this crap that's going on in the schools, uh, the board is super. I'm going to oppose all that stuff, and so I'll just be another voice that has to join the other voices. I mean, as one legislator, I, I have an opponent who I think goes out and says, "I'm going to do this," and I mean, he's not because you have to be. A, you can be a voice that joins other voices and put together a group to oppose all. This Are you stuff. running against an opponent? No, uh, it's an against anyone in 23. It's an open seat, but there are, there are five of us running for two seats. So there, will, I have opponents, but it is an open seat. So I'm not running against an incumbent. Okay, and it's so five Republicans in the primary. Right, exactly. And okay. Whoever wins the primary will win the district. Right, so. and how does the how does the money work? How much money do you need to win? I would guess about a hundred thousand. 
That's it? Yeah, it's not a these legislative races generally aren't really expensive. So uh, and and depending upon the district, it's more expensive or it yeah. depends on the some of the locations. Paradise Valley is expensive, Scott, where my district is a little more expensive, but I think a hundred thousand people won last time with a hundred thousand. So and what's your kind of strategy? Do you spend a lot of time walking around shaking hands talking yep. to people or what do you a lot do? Of strat- a lot of time doing that. So my goal between now and uh, primaries in August, I every week will be knocking on doors, introducing myself, handing out my little palm cards that tell you a little bit about me. I go to all the meetings uh, and all the club events. And... Which meetings and club events? So we have, uh, we have a bunch of clubs. Like the, I just went to, uh, it's called like the, the free shout out to the Lincoln Republican Women's Club of Scottsdale. There's a Paradise Women's Republican Club, the Fountain Hills Republican Women's Club. So there's just a bunch of clubs. I try to make my circuit there. Uh, and then we do mailers and we'll probably do a lot on, uh, the internet, Facebook and that kind of thing. We're just starting up my, my website, which is Darren for Arizona. So my name is D-A-R-I-N-F-O-R-A-Z is supposed to be up today. So we're, we're just getting rolling out, but, okay. uh, so there's a place people can go. They can sign my petition, um, and, and do whatever, you know, they can volunteer. They can see what I stand for. I hope to earn everybody's a vote by August, and that's my goal. So, What's what separate separates you from the other four Jamokes who are running? Uh, well, one of them I, I I support the incumbent. He's he just got elected last year, and he's a business guy. Uh, I think he kind of runs a REIT, so uh, I like him. He was very conservative in his first year. Uh, the other three are just uh, different. So he's in a different district, and he's running for no. It's the same district. So everybody, there's two two members of the house for each legislative district. Oh, okay. So he's the incumbent. He just got elected last time. Uh, so he's a freshman this time. So, but I like him, and I hope he he gets reelected. I just want to have that other seat. You for want myself. the other spot? Yeah. Okay. But I just have a lot more experience, frankly. I mean, I have uh, my legislative experience. I think at this time in particular is really important. So, and I have a conservative record. So everyone can say they're conservative, and they may or may not be. I don't know until they start voting, and I have that voting record that shows where I am. So. And is anyone coming after you with any of the malarkey they said last time? No, not at all. In fact, uh, some of those folks that did it are now supporting me, which huh. is a little unusual. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if they regret what they did, if they regret the results of what the change was. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I have some of them supporting me, which is nice. I had um, a friend of mine that I re- respect a lot. He said, he said, uh, he said, you know, he said, <laughs> these folks get in sometimes, and he goes, and uh, sometimes the best thing we can all see is Democrats in charge because they're really good at sitting on the sidelines philosophically saying you're screwing up, but they're really bad at leading and, and doing stuff <laughs> and difficult. And, and I think in many ways he's— that's right. We almost sometimes we have to see that juxtaposition of what they do to go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah we don't want that. Because it sounds good from the sidelines. Right. Everybody's going to have this. So oh, we'll sell this. Oh, everything's going to be perfect. But There's that's no all dead. they and But when they actually are in charge, it's a goddamn debacle. It's, it's harder to run things than it is to throw rhetoric. And, yeah. And the Democrats have been out of power here so long that they can stand there and say all the stuff they want to say. Right. Their, pre, you know, their, their pre-written speeches and, and say, oh, well, gonna, like what you're saying, everyone's going to have you know, two cars and everyone's, you know, whatever it is. It's crazy. But when they get in there and you actually deal with the budget and you have this amount of money and this is all you can do. So draw your priorities. Um, do you follow the, the senatorial stuff that goes on here? The, the U S Senate, do you follow? Yeah, I try to, yeah. Well, what, what is your take? How in the hell did we end up with two Democrat senators? <laughs> uh, well, I think we had bad choices. And so you thought McSally was a bad choice. I, I do. Yeah. Do you think because she ran a bad campaign or she was a bad candidate? She's a bad candidate. 
And I think she was a bad candidate the first time, and I and I think that Ducey appointing her was a was bad a mistake. decision. I do too, I because it, it put a weak failure. person in power, and they weren't able to make they weren't able to uh, yeah. capitalize. So you on have the one incumbency. candidate, one candidate that both lost both Senate seats, and it, it's just a it, it, it's a, a problem because it was a choice. My understanding was that was McDonald wanted that vote in the Senate. He wanted her to be appointed by Ducey, which is part of the establishment. We could have had a true candidate, a conservative candidate, or you know, a more conservative candidate that could have run a better campaign. Her campaigns were run from Washington. There was nothing good about that candidacy. Now, personally, she did. I saw the campaign. She did get better towards the end herself. It doesn't matter at that point. Right. But uh, no, that was it. Was just bad all the way around. I don't know how we got stuck. And then we have somebody, you know, that's not even from here. And then and what's funny is cinema was truly a communist, right? She was actually a member of the Communist Party. Now she's seen as this moderate, middle-of-the-road Democrat because she's saying no right now. That's because she she's wants to hold on soulless to and she wants the job more Absolutely. than she has morals. Absolutely, she'll do whatever. So she and her girlfriend and her boyfriend, they can figure that all out. It's, Screw the whole bunch of exactly. them. Exactly. Well, listen, I don't know. Out there in YouTube land, you guys see what you... Uh, this is what a couple local guys think. <laughs> well, at least me anyways. I'm like, are you kidding me? We don't know what happened. I feel like it got stolen out from under us. Right. And I felt like it was strings from Washington pulling decisions here, the wrong people running the wrong way. And 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 it's so funny that you just said what you said. I felt like she was the universal soldier to kill the Republican representation yeah. because she lost, and if I was the governor, I'd say, hey, look, you know, she ran her own might. She's a fighter pilot. She's a chick. She should have won in Arizona, and she didn't. And if I put her in there, I'm robbing some other good person in the political ecosystem sure. from having that strength of incumbency. God, I mean, I was, I was so you bummed saw the out mistakes about that they ran. Their campaign ran the second time around after she'd already lost, which was they would show her in her flight suit in front of, a, in front of her plane. And everybody already knew by that point, right? Everyone knew that what her history was, which is a great history. She was a woman, a woman fighter pilot, yeah. but she, she lost women and, and why they kept pushing the same story that wasn't getting the votes, but they did because they weren't from Arizona and they probably weren't listening to the adult polling data because they needed to get women votes, which you don't have to moderate, but you have to say something other than being in a jumpsuit in front of a plane. She, and, and right. You already, have to, we, we know that. Yeah, you just what, identify what with a bunch of guys. Yeah, exactly. What else? Now yeah. you need to identify with <laughs> yeah, women. Exactly. So are you, are you a mom too? Where are your kids at? And you she's, know? You know, we have so many candidates that are socially awkward. It's, it's so yeah. odd that how do you become a candidate so socially awkward? It doesn't it doesn't fit, but she also had that going for her. That she, I think she, in the end, she seemed to be overcoming that, which is, that's a personal triumph, but, but it wasn't a triumph for her. Too little, too late. Yeah, exactly. It's too little, too so, late. Yeah. Um, we got to get people who are willing um, they're willing to make the tough choices that don't that don't row with the, the, the boat in Washington and uh and and probably more row with the boat of the people here yeah because it's a pretty conservative state you know i'm flabbergasted that biden supposedly won here i'm flabbergasted it was close mm -hmm. even if trump trump didn't win enough i figured there's always a thumb on the scale with leftists so i figure you gotta trounce them you can't beat them a little you gotta beat them by three touchdowns not one field goal yeah and um you know he blew it in the first debate it wasn't good. It wasn't right. a great performance. His tax, his tactic was wrong, uh, and then uh, and then he got caught in a, perf a perfect storm. That's the COVID. Yeah, yeah. And and you're right. There was no way to react. Either way, he was going to lose. 
whichever way he reacted to COVID, he was going to lose. COVID's a, COVID was a, and he won, in my opinion, in retrospect, he won at every turn. And I was happy with how he was, his approach, because I'm not a fear oriented guy. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I saw the first debate, I kind of, to myself inside, I almost cried. I said, oh, it's, it's just about over. That's about over. That's hard to come back from. Right. It was, it was awful. Yeah, and the second one was fine, but it was too late because you you kind of um, the die is cast when you get that many people jumping in to see, and and they they you know I don't know if they gave Biden math I don't know what they did to hop him <laughs> up but he he was kind of semi lucid and somewhat there right. yeah and they said oh okay all right well nobody would ever run a, a senile person and and now we're we yeah. <laughs> well listen yeah. um a pleasure having yeah. you in and Thanks I hope it was me. fun being here I hope Absolutely. it felt like it was worth your time. You know, we're I'm trying to provide this texture of engaging conversations from state and federal and local politics, in addition to business and other interesting characters. I'm bringing car uh, candidates on. I can't get any Democrats to come in and meet with me. <laughs> well, imagine that. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, you know, if a Democrat came on, I would be a total gentleman with them. Sure. And they would have a, as fine a conversation as we're having. Because I grew up in the belly of the beast. I went to school in Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. So I've been around liberals my whole life. Most of the time, I know their argument better than they do. Right. I'm happy to sit and chat with them and sometimes pull a little bit at the strings of their weakness of their argument. Sure. But these days, I find they don't have any argument. All they have is propaganda. So they just want the rhetoric. They don't want to engage you in right. a discussion. They just want to be able to stand up and give have their free speech without any opposition to be able to say what they want to say. And their idea collapses. Yeah. But I wouldn't even bring anybody. I would just bring someone in to kind of hear what they have to say and uh, light. light. I like the light shining on people yeah. that have kooky ideas you know yeah well you probably get a lot of uh responses <laughs> well I, I tell you the, the damn people won't come in you know i've, I've invited plenty of lefties but i can't That's get annoying. any to come in but uh, i look you know i had a uh, i don't know if i want to say who this was i had someone in a prominent uh union leadership position mm -hmm. and political position here in the state we had him in we did a pre-interview right and during the pre-interview, they, they were very defensive and hostile. And I totally soothed them and calmed them down. And we had this great conversation. And we, they wanted to talk to some subject men. They, they, they want to hit uh, a few subjects with me uh, and kind of debate and say, okay, I'll come back on Thursday and do the show. So we did the show on, and it was Monday or Tuesday, Well, we did the pre-show. And uh, I sat down with them. We talked back and forth for about an hour. And at the end... The guy kind of had some tears rolling down his cheek, and I was like, I was a little like, oh, oh my goodness. You made him cry. What just happened here? <laughs> and he basically said, you know, he said, you're changing my mind, and yeah. I'm confused, and I'm not comfortable, and I can't do this. And he got all upset, flustered, and walked out of the building. Wow. And I went, no, <laughs> no, the thing was, I wished it would have been on camera, because I was just easy going like right. this, and just, you know, what do you think about that? I was kind of asking him questions so you know the good thing about that was he was actually thinking though he was actually listening to you he would yeah, yeah if but, you were changing his mind yeah yeah and but what, the, you see that often they just put up their hands intellectually right. and go no 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 i'm not gonna and uh and you know i'm not just gonna get on and bombast on somebody and crush him i'd rather right. have a good conversation you know sure. well great having you in yeah, thanks, thanks for, for being here you. we'll wrap it up cool. and uh pleasure thank you i, I wish you the best of luck on your campaign thanks all right thanks man